Welcome to Senior Rx Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior Rx Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Hi, this is Sean Jeffrey, and I'm the Director of Clinical Pharmacy for Integrated Care Partners with Hartford Healthcare. And you are listening to Senior Rx Radio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Senior Rx Radio. It's a collaboration with the American Society of Consultant Pharmacy and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome back, Mr. Chad Wars. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Summer 2017 has been extremely busy. Been integrated into several conferences, which we're so excited about. Looking forward to the upcoming uh, conference the ASCP has every year, which is a way for me to really catch up on the uh, edge of long-term care pharmacy and consultant pharmacy. But today, I, you have some special guests, so I'm not going to chat away with you per se. And what? Well, I'd very much like to, especially talk to you a little bit about the upcoming Star Wars movie that you and I are both big fans about, but. We will digress from that so you can introduce your two uh, welcome guests to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. So, Chad, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay, thanks. Well, today we've got Sean Jeffrey. He's a clinical professor from the University of Connecticut and the Director of Clinical Pharmacy Services for Integrated, Health, or Integrated Care Partners at Hartford Healthcare Group. And with him is Christina Pornpresert. PharmD, who is also a clinical pharmacist at Integrated Care Partners. And Sean, I've known for a number of years. He is a luminary of the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists and a past president. And one of the many pharmacists around the country that is really doing innovative things in pharmacy at trying to rise the level of the pharmacist and the consultant pharmacist into the healthcare system uh, and providing some unique opportunities as well as some unique uh, perspectives on pharmacy. So I like to highlight those types of individuals. So Sean, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and was actually excited that we might be talking about Star Wars. Can we go back to that theme? <laughs> we could we could probably integrate some Star Wars into the conversation. <laughs> I'm not sure Christina will be so thrilled with that, but uh, I, I'm happy to talk about any of the upcoming episodes. <laughs> there you go. Well, Sean, why don't we start? Why don't you give a little background on Integrated Care Partners and the Hartford Healthcare Group and what that all means and how you have developed a clinical pharmacist program into that environment. Certainly. So Hartford Healthcare is a, a combination of five, soon to be six hospitals here in the state of Connecticut. And back in 2013, as those hospitals merged and formed the overall system, they looked to explore what was happening in value-based reimbursement models uh, specifically within the accountable care organizations. And as one of the business units of Hartford Healthcare, they created Integrated Care Partners, which is a physician-led clinical integration network that is stitching together our value-based contracts across a wide range of different providers, mostly primary care specialists, uh, also some additional medical specialists. 
So we have practices all across the state of Connecticut and approximately 200,000 attributed lives in our network. And uh, prior to joining Integrated Care Partners, I had been practicing in a VA setting and saw this as an opportunity to take what the VA was doing really well with integrating care and try to apply that into a space where that hadn't really been established, which is largely in the commercial space. So I actually helped to create the job description for this position. And for the last two years, I've been the director of pharmacy here at Integrated Care Partners, where we've been looking to help the network manage both the medication issues and concerns, both cost and quality, but also providing some direct patient care to our high modifiable risk patients. And Christina joined me about a year ago now. She's coming up on her one year anniversary here and is helping us with expanding the ability to uh, both um, do the population health management that we need for the, the network and also giving me a little bit more bandwidth in terms of being able to see more patients. That's kind of us in a nutshell. That's awesome. So in your experience growing this and innovating this model, are you the are you the only two pharmacists or do you tie in with other pharmacists across uh, your system? So we actually have three pharmacists right now that work within the system um, and soon to be four. And I'll give you a little background that hopefully is of interest to the, you know, the senior RX group that's out there. One of the first positions before we even had Christina, we were able to embed a pharmacist full-time into one of our skilled nursing facilities that we own. And the idea there was to look at exploring a new model of care where the consultant pharmacist would be in a facility on a daily basis instead of the once monthly basis and would be really focused on the care transition aspect of improving the quality outcomes uh, for our network. So this particular pharmacist is helping to make sure all the inbound traffic to the facility is appropriately um, managed from a med perspective. So all the med transitions from the hospitals are, are nice and tidy. And then importantly, as patients are transitioning back out into the community, is really doing a um, very thorough transition for that individual back to their community pharmacies or back to wherever they're going to be getting their medications from. So that, that's kind of a unique model that we've got under uh, development right now. Christina joined us, like I said, about a year ago, and she serves in sort of a two-pronged approach where we've centralized some of the population health roles and then have her being able to be deployed out into the community. I'll have her talk a little bit briefly about one of the programs on called REACH, which is in combination with a nurse practitioner. And this new position that we're exploring is going to take a uh, ambulatory care pharmacist, primary care pharmacist, and embed them in one of our community primary care offices. And uh, we have uh, about a one-year window where we're going to try to get that practice off the ground so it can sustain itself after a year. And if that's successful, that would be the model for how we would continue to add more pharmacist FTE and, and grow the, the network capabilities. So maybe Christina can tell us a little bit about REACH. Sure. So REACH stands for Resource for Elderly and Care at Home, and it's a program that was launched 
a few months ago now, and it's led by an APRN, and I join her on these visits. This program is for Medicare patients that have trouble accessing their primary care doctors in their offices. They're either homebound or have other limitations, and they're considered high risk based on a number of different criteria. They have many chronic care conditions, and they've been hospitalized in the last year, or they've used a skilled nursing facility um, recently. And so we go out into the home and serve as the uh, liaison between the patient and the physician. So we actually make the changes right there during the visit regarding medications and um, connecting the patient with services they may need. Our goal is to really reduce hospitalizations, readmissions, reduce sniff utilization and length of stay and help the patient tr transition back to their primary care office. Okay, wow, thanks. Well, that's a great description. I want to I want to focus on a few different aspects of that because I think there's a lot in what you guys have both shared. Number 1, I think in in the long-term care environment, one of the things I think we don't always recognize about ourselves when you're trying to reflect your own health care system and, and see what you're doing in it is we really do deal with the patient that is the most vulnerable amongst this growing elderly patient population. We get the patients that have been to the hospital, can't go home, um, have to go to a nursing facility and either transition through that nursing facility or remain at that nursing facility. So what it feels like you guys are describing is that there's some recognition by these big healthcare systems like Hartford, that those are our costly individuals. And we want to make sure that we do a better job caring for them, maintaining them, keeping them in their quote unquote at home living environment so that they're not cycling through the system, um, adding cost and really, you know, decreasing their own quality of life by, by function of their either medication mismanagement or disease mismanagement or just the progression of those those diseases um, that they're they're faced with. So I, I think it's tremendous that you guys are able to innovate that and that the insurance provider or the healthcare system itself has identified that this is really important and it's important to put a pharmacist in that environment. Um, so that's really cool that you guys are doing that. Um, from the standpoint, Sean, of, you know, Betting a pharmacist in a nursing facility, certainly all of us that practice in that environment are um, attracted by that concept. You know, we see ourselves as this periodic clinician that comes in maybe once or twice a month to help manage medications for nursing facilities. And we, as nursing facilities have shifted from rest homes where the majority of the patients are going to live there the rest of their lives, they've really shifted to a 40%, in some cases, 50% of the population being transitional. And that makes it a difficult concept for a consultant pharmacist because we're not there every day. So what have you learned in that aspect of what you're doing in your department uh, by having a pharmacist in the facility every single day? Yeah, that's an uh, interesting question. And I think it's been a learning curve for all of us when we first embedded the individual, there was actually some resistance from the nursing staff to utilize her services because they were more or less accustomed 
to being able to make a phone call to the consultant pharmacy or to the pharmacists for that pharmacy that was vending for the facility and asking questions. And their questions were much more procedural and access questions about, you know, where is the medication? Can I get this? We're missing something. And what we found, though, is by having somebody that was present and able to address the daily needs, that the questions have moved more from what was a procedural thing to being more proactive. And what the individual that's there is finding is that she's far more receptive. She's being uh, seen as being far more receptive in the recommendations that she's making now. So it took a little bit of a learning curve for her to figure out how best to message to the providers that were there. But now that we've had a year or more in this facility, uh, they see her as an indispensable part of the care team. I would also add that one of the things that the system has spent a lot of time and effort around is the lean process to try to improve our efficiencies. And we do daily huddles across all the organization. And in the particular facility that she's at, they do a lean daily huddle where she's participating with the nursing team. And that's a great opportunity for her to have input both you know, up the food chain and down the food chain in terms of her impact and ability to impact patient care. Now, to make sure that this isn't just a feel-good exercise, we've also gone to the additional step of going through an IRB process to get this work approved for study so that we can collect data on what she's doing and re report out on the interventions that she's making. We've created a REDCap database so that we can track her interventions. And then we're optimistic that we'll be able to show there's both a return on investment, importantly, to the facility, both from a med safety and a cost perspective, but also from a quality of life perspective and a patient satisfaction perspective, because we're doing, we've added questions on the pharmacist's role in the patient's care and their experience in the facility as part of their patient experience surveys that they get after leaving. So we're looking to see overall what is going to be the total impact. And we think that this is going to be a model that we can sustain at multiple facilities, uh, mul yeah, multiple facilities across our system. That's really cool. I, I think uh, one of the things I want to highlight from your last comment is the the idea of getting the pharmacist engaged with the current staff. I think any anybody that's worked in a multidisciplinary environment goes through a piece of that, whatever their role is, where at first there's some skepticism about what's this person going to do. Um, I'm sure from a nursing perspective, and this is just based on my experience, the initial knee-jerk reaction to a, a pharmacist that's either more aggressive or around more is that they're going to create more work. And I think that the long-term outcome from a nurse's perspective becomes, wow, they're helping me out. They're taking work away, and my job is now easier, or I'm able to apply myself better because I've got this person involved. And it sounds like that's what you've experienced uh, with your embedded pharmacist. I think it is. And we also purposely didn't disrupt what was the usual course of care, where we still have a consultant pharmacist that comes in on a once a month basis. We had to do that for some specific contractual reasons, 
But that pharmacist comes in, they do their annual and their monthly reviews, but it's the embedded pharmacist that's catching everything in between. And we're starting to see that there's now a shift in the types of recommendations that the consultant pharmacist would normally have been making that comes in on a monthly basis because a lot of that stuff is being caught on the daily basis. So it's going to be interesting how that ends up uh, evolving over time. Now, do you think, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you think your evolved model, if it's applied you know, outside of Hartford and somebody says, wow, this, this data that they've produced is great, this makes sense, we're going to hire our own pharmacist, do you think the, the eventual model is going to be that they just hire a pharmacist and they do all of those functions, that they won't necessarily have a second pharmacist coming through periodically doing a, a higher level MRR? I think that could work in certain scenarios. Uh, it really depends on the system's overall appetite for managing their risk and to what extent they can control those costs and they have the ability to also provide the medications because right now we don't have the ability for this individual to also pro provide the vending sure. uh, and, and dispensing the medication. She's not a pharmacy. She's an individual. So you're still going to have to have the medications getting there. And, and some systems may be able to handle that internally. And then it may, might make sense that they can embed more pharmacists into the, into the nursing homes um, and actually see a greater cost savings overall. Awesome. Well, Christina, I'm not going to um, have you stay quiet the whole time. So I want to move over to your, your aspect of pharmacy services because what it and, it, and you can correct me as I go through my thought process on what I see happening at Hartford, but it, it feels like there's been some learning about how a pharmacist and a nurse practitioner can operate together in a nursing facility for what we all recognize are high-risk patients. But it sounds like Hartford has eventually said, or at Sean's prodding, has said, hey, we can't just ship these people back home and hope for the best. We're now going to follow them. Maybe in the traditional world, we'd have followed them with an NP and with home care, but now we're going to integrate a pharmacist into that because we recognize that these are the highest risk individuals. So comment on that, and is that the way you saw the evolution? And Sean, you can comment as well, or is this sort of evolved on its own? Well, I see this as evolving. I wasn't really doing this type of work when I was a resident last year or the year before that. So this type of environment is very different. And since there are so many patients here, we have about 190,000 attributed patients. We have to come up with ways to identify the high risk patients. And so a lot of that is through educating the providers and the nurse case managers, letting them know who we identify as high risk patients, giving them best practices in terms of how to refer patients to us based on number of medication, types of medications, if there's any drug interactions or um, high ED utilization. And so typically my home-based medication therapy management visits are for high-risk patients who have opportunities for changes in terms of their medications. And if a physician does want to refer to me, then they can go through the nurse case manager to do that. But the other layer that I really didn't get involved with as a resident was the population health management piece and really trying to affect patients on a more global scale as opposed to just a direct patient encounter. So that involves 
um, educating the providers on updated guidelines and opportunities for converting medications to safer alternatives or from brand to generics, and just keeping them updated with the different activities that are going on that will impact their metrics because we're trying to show them that we can really assist them with their workload. And Chad, you know, part of the role that I play is in, in integrated care partners, I'm on the executive leadership team and, and we as an organization are very laser focused in around our utilization around post-acute care. And we recognize that we have a long way to go to improve our use of SNFs in our, our setting. In fact, we're we're using way too many, way too many of our discharges end up going straight to a skilled nursing facility rather than going to a more appropriate level of care. So the program that Christina is involved in is serving two really key roles. One is it's identifying an underserved population that heretofore can't get in to see their doctors. And it's likely the same population is the population that ends up bouncing back and forth between skilled nursing facilities. So we're hoping that we can keep people in a safer, more appropriate level of care and therefore reduce our overall exposure to skilled nursing facility use and the costs and make the quality of life better for those patients. And by having a pharmacist as part of that, we add another layer by having somebody able to really manage those medications in somebody's home where that's often, you know, we put these great plans together in clinics and in the hospital, but then when you get to somebody's home and you realize, you know, they're struggling and they, they can barely pay their bills or they, they can't even figure out how to, you know, turn their TV set on or whatever, you know, how do they going to manage their medications? That's where Christina really comes into play and can help to simplify things and, and make sure we're on the right medications. So it, it's interesting. It's a pilot right now. It's being based out of one of our medical offices. We looked at our data to find a high concentration of our Medicare patients, and uh, we use that to guide which office that we decided to start with. I think that's interesting because I think as pharmacists, we we make a lot of assumptions um, about patients, especially when we're only seeing them for a segment of their path through the healthcare system. And one of the things I think you learn when you spend some time in transitions of care is that a lot of times patients, whether it's been in the hospital or the hospital on the SNF and then go home, we've kind of managed the care for them. We've administered the meds. We've had people looking at the meds to make sure they're the right kinds of meds to be on. When we send them home, what kind of barriers they may run into. We, we also don't necessarily do a great job identifying how competent that they can be with their medications. Can they operate an insulin pen? Can they manage their COPs? Fine when they're here, we're doing it for them. But when they go home, can they do that? And I think this obviously fills a pretty significant gap in in that uh, missing piece of pharmacist care in the healthcare system. And when I look at you know what Christina said about where she essentially is fed patients and work, I mean it's extraordinarily complex and detailed. I mean, on one hand, you have, I'm helping the physicians manage globally and identifying trends and trying to integrate programs into their practices to help them affect their metrics. And on another hand, you've got physicians referring people to the program. You've got, I'm sure there's a metric in there that identifies a hospital discharge as an automatic referral or a SNF discharge as an automatic referral. And that's a lot. I mean, that, there's a lot of 
uh, niche information in there, and there's a lot of detail in there that a pharmacist would have to manage about how do I apply myself to these very different subgroups of referrals, essentially. Yeah, there's scalability issues, there's workload issues, there's just the bandwidth of how you fit this into a day if you're going to be traveling sure. from office to office and and then trying to deal with the complexity of these individual patients. And, you know, right now there's, like we said, there's three of us predominantly, two of us that are doing this type of population health work and 200,000 patients. So how do you get the skills that we have uh, accessible to the broader population. It's tough, honestly, and we're really having to justify every patient that we touch because we have to hit that out of the park. It has to be something where our time and effort that we spend is going to be justified in terms of the dollars at the end of the day. So I'm going to ask, you know, kind of a global, typical interview kind of a question, but and I'll start with Christina. So Christina, and what you do on a day-to-day basis, on a monthly basis, what do you think are the biggest successes that you've seen and what have been the biggest barriers? Hmm. That's a great question. I think, so in terms of a population health standpoint, I think one of our biggest successes have been really collaborating with the data analytics team and making the data actionable. So we've worked really closely with the lead data analyst who has supplied us with pharmacy data from 2016 with all the prescribing information of all the providers in all of our clinics. And to make that actionable in terms of looking at the generic dispense rate and all of the drugs that they're prescribing, and to be able to make a report card that's individualized for each provider and and deliver it to them and show them where there's opportunities, I think that was really rewarding. Sean and I have started to go out into the clinics and provide these reports and Now we're kind of globalizing this and they're creating um, medical directors to take on this role where they're going to go out into the sites and disseminate this information. And um, we've actually been able to create a pharmacy dashboard that will be embedded into our EHR platform and um, providers will get rated based on their pharmacy performance as well as their medical performance. And pharmacy is a pretty hefty percentage. I believe it's 25%. So to have that type of um, contribution to this uh, report, I think, has been one of our biggest successes. The the whole team, the CEO, the CMO, I mean, they're all really excited about the pharmacy work and excited to include our work into their larger reports. And our biggest challenge is working with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer. Um, I, I will say to to your point, Christina, on data, I love your answer because, uh, you know, and this is such a simple pedestrian example from my practice, but I was involved with a PACE environment and we would sit around the table on a weekly basis and talk about our, you know, 440 patients that we were trying to manage in that environment. And one day I, I just brought the topic up of anticholinergic burden. And I said, there's this cool scale out here. And if we could just see what everybody's score was, we could attack that problem from a medication standpoint and try to reduce the burden of these anticholinergic meds in this, this older population. And, you know, two weeks later, the IT guy that was sitting in that room had created the report and delivered a, a, a specific, essentially a census sheet of all 440 people and what their score was. And I was like, 
And I think that's something that the, the listening audience should understand is that data is so critically important and can be such a, a way to drive efficiency. And it goes back to what Sean said about that lean environment that you guys are in, trying to always learn and trying to figure out, okay, where, where do we spend time? What's important? And how can we, we have all this data. How can we maximize how we look at it to make our clinicians more effective? I think that's a great answer. And, you know, I'll pick up on that, Chad. The data doesn't have to be perfect to make conclusions. And I right. think that's one of the challenges that we all face is we want the perfect data set so that we can query it in, you know, 10 different ways to Sunday to figure out what are the potential uh, challenges or solutions that we're, we're after. But there is no perfect database. And you're going to have to make compromises, but you're, you have things that you can become uh, proficient with and you can make actionable. So don't wait. You need to just get started. That's a great comment. Uh, Christina, I'm not going to let you hook with Barry's question. Other than Sean, any significant barriers to, to what you're to do? Um, I would say it's probably the bandwidth. It's it's a little bit challenging to balance the the larger population in terms of our population patient care activities in terms of uh, the reach program as well as the individual um, home based visits that I do. So we have a lot of different little things going on. For example. We have developed a series of videos, the providers CME credit for watching through those videos, the dissemination about um, new guidelines and visions. So creating that type of uh, series along with creating algorithms for them. For example, we were asked to create a diabetes treatment pathway that will be embedded into their EHR. So we're working now with uh, one of the lead endocrinologists to, to get that embedded into our system. And a few other things that we're working on as well as precepting students on the side. So it's just every day is really different, which is my favorite part about this job, but it's also a lot of different moving pieces to handle all at once. That's a, I mean, that's another great answer. And, you know, when I look at this from, you know, my 50,000 foot view and of listening to, to you and Sean talk about it, you know, what you're really building with a very, limited number of pharmacists at the outset is a really a whole system of pharmacists. I mean, if you look down again at all the people that you have to deal with and all the functions that you're performing, those are all really jobs probably that one pharmacist should be doing across your system, but you're doing them as a, as a cluster of three pharmacists. So it's, it's kind of interesting to watch because all the things that you're saying, you can easily see it develop you know, if everything goes the way we think it goes as pharmacists, someday that's a pharmacist's job. And dealing with population health metrics for physicians' offices, that's probably a pharmacist's job. So you are, you're gaining from the variety to your point, but I can see as this, they're going to backfill pharmacists underneath you guys that are going to be more specifically focused on the areas that provide the biggest bang for the buck and provide the best quality for the patient. It's, it's cool to see that. It's, it's cool to see that evolve. It's a bit like that analogy that gets often used of building the airplane while you're trying to fly it. Right. You're totally right. That's a good analogy. All right, Sean, I'll come back to you to sort of uh, give us some wrap-up. But p pull out your crystal ball. Um, you obviously don't have to share proprietary metrics or data before it's ready to be published. But 
what what as you look out in the future for not just Hartford Group, but maybe the the data that Hartford Group is creating and that you're creating, where do you see this going? Where do you see it in three years, five years? Well, I, I would think that the sophistication of tribal records and the interconnectedness of that environment and space is only going to increase, as are the accountability requirements for those who are going to be providing the care. So from a quality perspective, pharmacy plays an, an important role in achieving quality outcomes. And pharmacists need to become proficient in understanding what are those outcomes and how can they impact them, how are they being measured, and how does that end up becoming part of somebody's incentive package if you're a physician or a system. So that's that's really important. So that degree of information is only going to increase. So your ability to manage it is, is really super important. Um, I think that the other thing that's going to happen is as the MACRA legislation, that's the Medicare Access Chip Reauthorization Act, which set in place the new payment structure for those who receive Medicare payments. As that rolls out here in the future, there's going to be tremendous opportunity for pharmacists to help in that space. You know, we we can help in multiple ways to advance care information, to improve cost, to improve quality, and the physicians themselves are only just now realizing the, I, I guess, what they have at stake in this new payment model, and they're going to need partners. So for pharmacists to be as fluent in what that legislation has and what it's staying and is stating and how it works is, is also critically important. So I'd say in three years, you're going to have a growth of individuals like myself and Christina that are being hired by systems, by being hired by independent physician associates, you know, IPAs and, and physician groups to help them because it's no longer a question of pharmacist. It's, you know, you can't afford not to assist. And I really do see that this is going to be where we are going to be able to create a, a whole entire new set of pharmacy jobs that are going to be out there for for our, uh, I appreciate those comments because I think sometimes pharmacists can get really beat down they're doing and, and not see the future. And, and I've always been very positive. And when you look at the demographic shift in this country, moving to this very large population of people over the age of 65, they're just, there's no way out for our healthcare system, if not through good clinical pharmacists and good clinical pharmacy programs. So I don't worry about not having anything to do. I think I worry more about, are we gonna be aggressive enough to take as much of it as we can as pharmacists? Because it's just, there's so much opportunity out there. And the reason I like highlighting people that are doing things like you guys are doing is because you are out there on the leading edge, really innovating things where, and going places where pharmacists haven't always gone. And you're doing it in a, business environment. You're not doing it. Um, nobody's being uh, uh, charitable by letting you do this. You're doing this because it does yield results for large health systems, for payers. Uh, they're not doing it and spending their money because they like you. They're doing it because they realize the potential and the impact that you're providing. So 
I'm and glad to see. There's a lot of dollars that are at risk here, Chad. Absolutely. And if we execute on our ability to manage medications, then we shore up at least a portion of what could be significant shared savings. I agree. I think that's awesome. Um, well, I appreciate You know, I'm going to end with one more question. I always try to end with the, the counterintuitive question. So I'll ask both of you. You know, John, in your experience, which is longer than just the past year or so, and then Christina, in your experience, what's the most counterintuitive thing that you've learned as a pharmacist operating where you're in, where you're operating? What, I, I never would have expected that. Well, I, I guess I'm going to take this from the position that I sit in within the executive leadership team and uh, end on a positive note, which is that when it comes to our organization, and I don't think it's just unique to us, having a pharmacist involved at a senior level who understands both the dynamics of patient care, but then can translate that into how it works towards a business plan is something that they crave. And they have been incredibly receptive. I think oftentimes I hear um, in conversations that people are concerned that, you know, they won't want a pharmacist or they don't think that they'll appreciate what the skills that we bring. And I would say that is absolutely not the case. They've been very receptive to having pharmacy support at the senior most level. Great answer. Christina, how about you? Oh, gosh, I don't think I'll be able to top that answer. But um, in terms of boots on the ground perspective, um, I think, the, so for the REACH program, what makes this program a little bit different from my traditional home visits is that we actually make the change during the visit because I go out with the APRN. So I think there has been, um, there's been great feedback about the changes we've been able to make because of the recommendations that I was able to give to the nurse during the visits we've had so far. And we've been able to see the change immediately. The next week when she goes out to visit the patient, the change is noticeable and the providers have picked up on that. So I think they've been uh, surprised with the uh, changes we've been able to make through that. So maybe the counterintuitive thing is just is, how receptive yeah, people are to making changes to I meds? Think, yeah, I think so. Because traditionally when we go out to home visits, um, we're going out either by ourselves or with a nurse that's not an APRN. So there is some lag time with the changes that we make. Whether or not the provider accepts those recommendations is another question, but um, the quick turnaround time with these types of visits have been really surprising to us. Well, I think, I think you're both different arenas within your organization that the receptiveness is there. I think what you're saying, Christine, is that sometimes when your recommendation as a pharmacist is carried by another individual, a nurse, or through the physician. Sometimes they're not going to be as, hey, this is a really good idea if we, if we do this uh, with your medications. The, the communication piece is lost. And with you standing there and being part of it with that patient, I, I'm, I'm sure that the patient's like, wow, this, this person cares about me. They've made a good case for doing this change, and I'm, I'm going to accept it. Whereas in some some environments, we don't have that interaction, and we don't have the, the higher level of success with those changes. So I think those are great answers. Well, I appreciate uh, everybody's time. Christina Pornpresert is a clinical pharmacist at Integrated Care Partners. Sean Jeffrey is a clinical professor at the University of Connecticut and the director of clinical pharmacy services for Integrated Health 
Integrated Care Partners, uh, part of the Heart for Healthcare group. And I appreciate your guys' time. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, from a pharmacist to a pharmacist, uh, I appreciate you guys pushing the envelope and doing what you do. And I also appreciate you coming on Senior Rx Radio and sharing your story with uh, the rest of our listening audience. So I appreciate it, and I'm sure I'll see you guys uh, down the road. No, we're looking forward to seeing you at the annual meeting, and next time we get to talk about Star Wars, right? <laughs> That's right. Star Wars is the next podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to you've been listening to Senior RX Radio uh, with the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, and I'm Chad Wurz, uh, President-elect of the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. Thanks for listening to Senior RX Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.